Hebrews Bible Study, Part 12, The Third Exhortation, Part 4, for lay leaders and deacons to conduct after the Sunday service or during a midweek Bible study session. Hear the word of our Lord from Hebrews chapter 6, beginning in the 13th verse. For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. For people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all their disputes an oath is final for confirmation. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath, so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain, where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. While various translators have split this passage, Hebrews chapter 5 verse 11 to chapter 6 verse 20 into two distinct pericopes, this misses the law and gospel dynamic employed by the author to spiritually edify the Hebrew congregation, to separate both halves of the passage and look at each in isolation is to miss the dynamic message intended by the writer, especially in terms of the chiastic structure. Nonetheless, one of the reasons for the artificial split in the passage by translators and publishers is that the message of law, which the author proclaims, is an extremely hard one which has befuddled exegetes for centuries. Luther famously called Hebrews 6 verse 4 a hard knot because of the difficult implications presented by the text. Here we finish the gospel section of this careful study, the completion of the edification process the author intended, with Hebrews chapter 6 verses 13 through 20, and tie the message together so that we, like the Hebrew congregation, may be prepared to learn about the Melchizedek priesthood. At the beginning of his message, in Hebrews 5 verse 11, the author chides the Hebrew Christians as being dull of hearing, then later being unwilling to hear the deeper doctrines of the faith, namely Christ's high priesthood after the order of Melchizedek. It is with Hebrews chapter 6 verse 1 that the author expresses his intention to get them up to speed, ready for the teaching by this brief message. After warning that this stagnation they are going through could shipwreck their belief, and thus their salvation, he then begins to encourage them by virtue of the fruits of sanctification which they have shown, and the imperative to imitate the saints which have gone before them. Now at this time, starting in Hebrews 6 verse 13, he begins to utilize Abraham as the prime example which they should look to. Now at this time, though this is an audio recording, I do highly recommend everybody listening go to verylutheran.biz to the resources tab and find the PDF document of this Bible study. There is a chart here made by Microsoft Paint that will assist in understanding 
what the text is truly getting at. Because the passage has been structured there for ease of interpretation, revealing that the author seems to have intended for this pericope to be made in the syntactical shape of Hebrew poetry. It is an off-centered chiasm or X-shaped poetic passage in which each statement has a parallel to another, with what could be called the center or climactic central message being at the end rather than the typical beginning. Each connective phrase, for, and thus, so that, etc., begins a statement like a stanza. Each stanza is parallel to another on the other half of the chiasm. Again, to make it more easily understandable, there is a diagram at the PDF that illuminates this concept. You may notice in that diagram that I have labeled every single statement as a synthetic parallelism. By synthetic parallelism, what we mean is that segment of poetry where each line either repeats or builds on the previous lines. Typically, every parallelism in scripture is written in two, three, or four lines. A good example of a synthetic parallelism which mirrors what the author of Hebrews is doing here would be Psalm 2, verse 8. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. Strictly speaking, it has three lines, with the beginning being an illuminating aside which gives context to the two parallel lines. The Father tells our Lord Jesus to ask, and thus receives the nations as heritage, line one, and the ends of the earth to be his, line two. By illuminating aside, we mean a part of the sentence which is not necessary for the statement to make sense, but adds details. Verse 13, without the illuminating aside, may say, For when God made a promise to Abraham, he swore by himself. And it still retains its meaning, even though the entirety of the verse says, For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. Synthetic parallelism is distinct from another kind of parallelism, antithetical parallelism, which contrasts two statements to get at the main message. A good example of this would be Proverbs 11 verse 1. A false balance is an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is his delight. The intention we can see here is to first warn the reader against false balances, defrauding one's neighbor and thus stealing from them, a violation of the seventh commandment. But then to promise blessing by using just weights, one delights the Lord. There are no antithetical parallelisms in Hebrews chapter 6 verses 13 through 20. An antithetical parallelism is again, typically meant to warn the reader away from sin and to promise good for obedience. A synthetic parallelism, on the other hand, is intended to build up what the reader already has, to teach and or encourage them. Each statement the author of Hebrews utilizes in his chiasm here is intended to build the congregation he is speaking to, fulfilling the aim he has of the hearers being ready to hear about Melchizedek. Let us look at the connected statements and view them with this in mind. Statement A1 verses 13 and 14 reads, 
For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. Statement A2, verse 17 says, So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. God promises to bless Abraham and multiply his descendants, swearing an oath by himself in order to demonstrate his unchanging determination more convincingly. Verse 17 explains God's actions, which are given to us in verse 13. God actively showed his faithfulness to the patriarch to inspire more faith in him. Statement B1 verse 15 says, And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. Statement B2 verse 18 says, So that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. Noting that verses 13 and 17 show God inspiring greater faith in Abraham, the patriarch thus waits patiently and by this patience receives the promise God gave him. Since this passage is spurred on by verse 12, telling the congregation to imitate the saints, the author then extrapolates verse 15, in which Abraham receives the promise, into a cause for the reader to do the same, to take courage and have patience on account of God's unwavering faithfulness. The two unchangeable things mentioned in verse 18 are his promise and purpose, spoken of in verse 17. God keeps his promises, and his purpose, namely our salvation, never falters. So we hold on to hope that he will save us as he says. Statement C1 verse 16 says, For people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all their disputes an oath is final for confirmation. Statement C2 verse 19 says, We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain. Since an oath is a final confirmation that someone will do or give as they say, God's solemn oath to Abraham is direct proof of his faithfulness. Therefore, we Christians hold on to his promises with the steadfast anchor of his unchanging faithfulness. This holding on to Christ's atoning work and the doctrines which we know will keep us where we want to be that is, faithful to Christ and undrifting like an anchored vessel. Like the inner place, the holiest of holies, our hope brings us to God's presence, as one cannot be near unto God without faith. But this is an anchor for us because we understand that our salvation is promised with the same finality of the oath God promised to Abraham. Now, statement D1, the off-centered, central message here says, where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Christ, as our high priest, has an eternal beatific vision, being in the holiest of the holiest of holies. 
As high priest, this is his prerogative. And from here, the author decides to begin his discussion on Melchizedek. But that is a discussion we will start next week. Until then, let us summarize this complicated pericope. God's purpose and promise are unchanging. He proved this with Abraham, demonstrating it by a solemn oath to encourage him. Abraham patiently held on to that promise because of this demonstrated earnestness, and thus he received it. We, too, have received precious and gracious promises from our Lord in the gospel, and we must emulate Abraham by doing the same thing, holding fast to the faith which brings us to the presence of God, who will not betray us nor go back on his word. Amen and amen.